1: Or call 562 314 4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
2: The Around the League podcast could be the greatest of all time, according to Ron Jaworski.
1: Welcome back to another edition of the Around the League podcast. I am sitting in a room almost devoid of heroes. There's one hero here. His name is Chris Wesseling. What's happening, Chris? Hey, Greg. That doesn't really add up. Does no, it? it just all isn't the same. The gold standard is here, behind Freshly the glass. Freshly
3: shorn, he lost his hipster beard, has a haircut. He looks about six years younger.
1: Yeah, I either went corporate or I went kindergarten. I'm not sure which. <laughs> <laughs> but fear not, our boys Dan Hansis and Mark Sessler, are in New York at the draft, getting ready. They're going to be talking to prospects this week. They're going to be at the draft, and we're going to get them on the line in just a second. I feel like we have to get him on the line almost right away after the, the, the lack of a manly conversation we were just having before we started about <laughs> British literature. I, I feel like we should be talking more about Wesleyan's T-shirt. It's a Huckapoo's T-shirt. We Wh- should get a picture. This is a collector's item. It's a softball uniform shirt. The slogan is, what is it? Huckapoo's Bites and booze. That's fantastic. I'm looking forward to our Huckapoo's show coming up in the year 2018 when we're all making a (laughs) lot of money and we can afford it. Uh, But why don't we just get the boys on the line, Zach, and get right to the news. There's a lot to get to today. We're going to talk to Matt Money-Smith coming up, who's going to help preview the draft. This is our last show before the big day or the big three days, I guess we can call it now. We'll be back on Thursday night to cover the first round of the draft. So this will be our last preview show. We'll have Matt Money Smith on later. We'll talk about some GMs that are under pressure. Uh, but let's get the guys on the phone and do some news. Yep, got them right here. Dan and Mark, are you there? Hello. We're here. We're in New York City. What up, boys? Wow. Uh, You're in the Park Avenue offices. Do you, Do you guys own a suit and tie? Did you dress up well? Well, hold on. Dan, by the way, shows up. It looking like, I would
4: say that you have a schoolboy look to you. He's got a a collar and a tie with a nice purplish sweater over it—a V-neck sweater.
5: <laughs> and Mark looks like a uh, substitute chemistry teacher. <laughs> Untrue. <laughs> not tenured at all.
1: You have a suit though, on right, Mark. So you're coming with it. It's not even—it's
5: mismatches, brown Dockers oh. that look like they were purchased sometime in the, the last Bush administration, and then an old gray, uh, I mean, it's not a gray uh, I was
4: instructed by Dan that I did not need to wear, I brought a suit and thought I'd have to wear it seven days in a row because I own one, but uh,
5: <laughs> informed otherwise. And for the record, I do own a suit, and I will be wearing it uh, at Radio City Music Hall for the rest of the week, so it's going to get plenty of use.
1: Well, we're, we're excited to hear from you, we're excited to be wearing short sleeve shirts, Chris is in a Huckapoo's T-shirt, so we're representing the West Coast. You're on the East Coast. What What's the scene been like in New York, in the office? I know it's it's just kind of cranking up now.
5: Well, this is Mark's first trip to the what I call the mothership, 345 Park oh. Avenue. It's a much different scene. It's a much different atmosphere. And Mark was even blown away by the cafeteria. I know we talk mm. about the huddle a lot.
4: Well, you know, we've got the West Coast huddle, which is... You know, an operation of its own. But out here, you walk through these glass doors. There's a giant fireplace cooking pizzas, and it's got like it's overlooking the entire city. It has a feel that is something other than total
1: chaos. It's awesome. I, I worked yeah. there for a year. I believe they've set up my old desk as a national monument there now. Or
5: it, it's, yeah, it's one of those things like uh, where Thurman Munson, after he passed away at Yankee Stadium, they kept it behind glass, his locker. It's a similar situation with you. No, no actually, that's that's a storage facility. Now they changed. it.
1: <laughs> well, uh, we've got a lot of news. No surprise here. Let's uh, let's get it going. Little news, Zach. Let's do it.
5: I like Greg setting up the news here. This this is a a role reversal, and I'm excited.
1: It it feels strange. The intro was bizarre there were no heroes here practically unless you count west but uh we we i count west don't do that (laughs) we move forward we let's start with a little johnny Manziel. i mean why why waste time before getting to him there there's so many rumors to talk about with him it's something that we started talking about a month ago uh when we heard from daniel jeremiah and some other people in the newsroom that this buzz is building that that the rams truly are interested in Johnny Manziel, and it's cranked up as we've gotten closer to the draft. Various reports that say they could take him at two. Ian Rappaport, our NFL media insider, believes they're more likely to take him at 13 if they took him. Are you guys buying the Rams, shaking up the entire draft, shaking up the NFL by going Manziel this week? Well, I have lunch
3: on the line with the Rams taking Manziel. So I've been buying it for a while.
5: I have plenty of lunch on the line involving Manziel and draft day as well. <laughs> <Christopher>. <laughs> so
3: I'm buying it. I don't see how they could possibly believe he will last to number 13, though.
1: Yeah, I don't buy that at all. None of it really makes sense to me, but none of the equations where it's like teams like the Cowboys or the Rams hoping that he gets to 12 13 or to 16 and maybe then you move him. If if he's your quarterback and you believe he's a franchise quarterback, you take him at the two spot and you're not going to wait around at all.
3: We know he's not going to get past the Browns because ESPN has reported that Chris Mortensen had a dream (laughs) that he might at some point anticipate or expect (laughs) that the Browns would not let him get past four. Well, unless, you know, Les Snead's been on the phone with Charlie
4: Catterley, who uh, might have informed him that no one's going to take... (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I sit right next to Charlie Castle. You guys know when, when we're here. And so we talked about that at length and he felt very strongly through his sources, especially on the Browns, that the Browns staff is not interested in Johnny Manziel. But our guy Ian Rappaport has reported Jimmy Haslam, the owner, is in love with Johnny Manziel, which is
3: kind of scandalous if you think about it, it
1: is. And, and I and I brought this up to Charlie, and it all checked out with him. He he basically believes the Brown staff does not uh, like him, and there's some speculation over where ESPN's getting their information. And there's a there's a strong belief that Haslam really wants Manziel. Mark, are you a little worried that this presents a house potentially divided?
4: No, I mean I I, I would say. From the angle of just wanting that team to do like the Rams, if you bel- it, if the staff doesn't believe it, that's an issue. But I would love to see them get Manziel. So as a as a Browns follower, it doesn't worry me. Anything that you know
5: fractures the structure of your team, of course, that would be concerning. I agree. By the way, that Mark is a follower. Also, I wanted to say something <laughs> about this situation brewing in Cleveland. You have a you have an owner that has fallen in love for a hotshot quarterback. You have a general manager that has his eyes on other aspects of the roster but is being pressured from up top and pressured from the fan base. This is the Cleveland Browns are talking about. There are some real draft day parallels here. Sorry, Kevin Costner, Sonny <laughs> Weaver Jr. parallels. I know I bring this movie up a lot, but it's, it's actually happening in real life now a month after the movie came out.
4: Well, and in that movie, there was an angry you know, quarterback in place named Brian and they wound up <laughs> moving up to number one and taking a, a linebacker. Does this
5: end with Brian Hoyer destroying Ray Farmer's office? <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> alert. Everything's in play.
1: Brian, Brian Hoyer has nothing to be upset about. He should be happy if Johnny Manziel lands there just to give him a little extra attention. I, I don't know. This is sort of a, a early litmus test on the Ray Farmer, Mike Pett, Jimmy Haslam triumvirate. Because if they did get Manziel, I would suddenly feel like we're kind of back where they were a year ago or throughout the last five years where there's, there's some drama and consternation. I know you don't want to hear this, Mark.
4: Well, the one, I, I found it interesting that Albert Breer tweeted that Cleveland wasn't the only team with an owner piping in on the Manziel front, and Dan and I were trying to piece that together and thought, is Shad Khan another guy that might not mm. even give Cleveland a chance to draft? Manziel at
1: number four. Makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, considering that he was the one driving Tim Tebow yeah. to Jacksonville when Tebow turned down that trade. But it wasn't
1: because Shad Khan's the people under him, wanted that trade. And we've talked to our draft guys about this dynamic, and Daniel Jeremiah, and other. there's a belief that the Jaguars, and this comes from Jeff Darlington as well, that it's a similar setup, that the staff really isn't into taking Johnny Manziel, but maybe there's a, a difference of opinion and ownership. I think with the Rams, though, it makes no sense to me because they have Moke the number. What do you say? Milk screen. How, what, what good does it do for them to be telling their buddies in the media for a month, oh, oh, by the way, they had this secret meeting. They had to kick out all the scouts and the coaches at the combine because they didn't want anyone to know. It was just Johnny and the guys. And, oh, <laughs> Jeff Fisher really likes this guy, and this has been coming out for a month. They're just telling all their media friends out of the goodness of their heart because they really like them. It doesn't make sense. If they really wanted Johnny Manziel and they wanted to shake up their entire franchise and change directions, wouldn't they shut up about it? They have the number two pick. They can get him at the number two pick. Wouldn't they not say a word and then just drop the hammer in the first round? Well, wouldn't that also apply to a team like Cleveland, then, if you're
4: getting reports that, hey, you know, despite what we've heard, that that the GM doesn't like him, which has been something Daniel Jeremiah talked about, oh, but the owner might come in and drop a bomb on this. It's like all of this is potentially action to get someone to trade up.
1: That's fair.
3: Well, Greg invented the term a few weeks back, a smokescreen to the smokescreen. Mm. This is like mm. Princess Bride. The poison <laughs> smoke test. squared. This is like the poison test in a Princess Bride. He's got people out thinking themselves on the smokescreen to the smokescreen. <laughs> How would you like to be Les Sneed and known as the guy who kept Sam Bradford and passed on RG3 and Johnny Football?
5: To answer your question, I would like to be Les Sneed, number one. <laughs> <laughs> The other thing, uh, Greg, I know this is you're running the show right now. but Not really. We should probably move on to the next topic, right?
1: Oh, <laughs> give me a break. It's Johnny Manziel, draft week. We'll stick with the quarterbacks, all right? You they, can't see me. I'm running my finger like, <laughs> around, around, around twirling it. What a backseat driver. Uh, <laughs> but let's talk uh, more on the quarterbacks because there's a trio of teams as we're getting closer to the draft that we're now hearing could be in the market for a quarterback in the first round that, you know, maybe we didn't expect initially. We have the Bengals, and there's some reporting that, from our guy, Ian Rapoport that Teddy Bridgewater would be of interest if he's still available there at the end of the first round. The Browns also talked about as a possibility for Bridgewater. The Chiefs are being mentioned as a potential landing spot if a quarterback like Bridgewater falls. Meanwhile, they're going through contract negotiations with Alex Smith. And then finally, I really like this one today, that the Jets are keeping in close contact hubba, hubba. Uh, with quarterbacks that are expected to take go in the first round, and there's a chance they could be looking at quarterbacks. Which, which one of these do you guys see as the most likely to happen? I see the Bengals as
3: the most likely to happen. Mike Brown came out a month and a half ago when he said he wasn't quite sure about handing Andy Dalton franchise quarterback Monday money and said, look, we might draft another quarterback. We don't want to get stuck with Andy Ro- Andy Dalton robbing us, holding us hostage.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if anything, I agree, Chris. If anything, it's a ploy to tell your two quarterbacks in place, Dalton and in Kansas City, Alex Smith, listen, we, we have other options. We don't need to overpay you guys, and Dalton's certainly a guy that doesn't deserve to be overpaid.
1: What about uh- the Jets? Dan, I mean, Ian Rapport is reporting they're keeping in regular contact with quarterbacks going in the first round, and the Jets were maybe serious about a quarterback with the number 18 overall pick. I, l- I love this because it's not sticking with a guy like Geno Smith for too long. You're just taking more swings at the bat.
5: Yeah, I know. I, would, I think it's kind of a move that would uh, potentially invite the circus back to town. I have a no. man no. crush on Manziel, and that would be amazing if somehow he felt felt eighteen and the Jets shocked the world, and all of a sudden he was on the Jets. But I don't that's really see how that's not possible,
3: that. Dan, because he's not getting past the Cowboys at sixteen.
5: <laughs> Listen, I'm, I got Manziel in play with like about nineteen different teams now at this point. But uh, no, I think I don't. I don't think that would be a wise move at all for them to get a quarterback unless they were absolutely under the radar in love with someone, and that to me wouldn't make much sense after you just signed Michael Vick. I don't buy it.
3: How can they draft a quarterback at 18 when they're trading up to draft Odell Beckham? That's
1: another possibility. The draft that, needs to dude, get that here. That
5: makes more sense to me. There's a lot of logic to that move, especially with the number of picks they have and their need at receiver, and Beckham is a, a great fit for what they want to do. Put him with Decker, and even West might get a little excited about that Jet offense. Right, Wes? Well, I don't like you guys, you know, A, disrespecting, but B, underrating the power
4: of
3: the Glacier. Mm. glacier. <laughs> Uh, to answer your question, Dan, I might get a little
1: excited at that point.
5: whoa, I just got excited hearing that you would get excited
1: <laughs> I can feel I can feel the excitement from here uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's talk a little bit about trades before before we go potential trades and I know Mark Sessler had to have been feeling a little bittersweet about this because he was gonna throw out a, a move a decision during our go get my sandwich game the other day. That
5: last part's supposed to be implied.
1: Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. And he was going to say that Mike Glennon will get traded on draft weekend. But he decided, out of the goodness of his heart, to give it to Chris Wesseling. And now we are hearing reports that the Ooh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers it. are open to dealing Mike Glennon.
4: What, what, well, they're, what? they're open for dealing him for a second-round pick. So th- that's what they're going to have to find someone willing to to pay that. If I were another team, though, I-, I don't know about you, I would take Glennon over maybe every one of these rookie quarterbacks outside of Manzel. How about
5: with burying the lead though, outside Manzel? Yeah.
3: Wow.
4: What quarterback would you would you rather, have Blake Bortles or Mike Glennon?
3: Uh, Blake Bortles, definitely.
4: Really, I I don't know if I agree. I I I like Glennon. I think if you put him on, you know, Chris, you mentioned. A team like the Bears is a potential landing spot for him. You, you talked about the Cardinals. You put him with a great quarterback coach, and I I like where he where he's going. I
3: take him over Bortles. And let's be clear: if someone offers a fourth round pick for Mike Glennon, they're taking it. Really? If they like if they don't like him enough, and the word from Ian is that Jeff Tedford doesn't like him, Ooh. then they then they don't want him on the roster. They're gonna they don't want to
1: keep him around as a third quarterback. They say second-round pick because why tell people what you really want? Maybe third-round pick. It seems insane to me that you, they couldn't find a team willing to give up a third-round pick, the same round where Glennon went last year after he had a very promising rookie season. You're not dealing with the total unknown of how this guy's going to go to the NFL. You're looking at what he did in the NFL, and it was pretty good. Yeah, but
3: and now it, every team knows that the Bucks don't want him, so why would they give up a third-round pick when they know that they can get him for cheap?
4: it was also contingent, according to Ian, on the Bucks drafting a quarterback first. Which, you know, I think that you're right, Chris. If this thing comes down to where someone's saying, listen, we'll give you X, it's not a second-round pick, but it's close. Tampa might just pull the trigger to clean that quarterback room up the way they want. But I think if they don't add a quarterback that they like as much or more than Glennon early, then I don't think he moves.
1: That's fair. But what we're really missing here is, Mark, how do you feel about the fact that Chris Wessling came in and continued to, to steal your sandwiches. Well, I don't really particularly <laughs>
4: like sandwiches, so I'm fine with that.
5: You and, call them contraptions, remember. I'm
3: and, not a sandwich fan. And to correct something, Mark did not give this to me out of the goodness of his heart. This was strategy on his end.
5: Mm. It, he was playing was, the Richard Hatch card. Oh, it was goodness. It was pure goodness. <laughs> if we're, if we're going to play the Hatch card, does uh, anybody want to take my sandwich proposition about Manziel to the Cowboys <laughs> in exchange for something?
1: No one wants that. You get seven sandwiches, Dan, if that happens. I mean, that's that's you could almost retire on that. You could open up Mark's sandwich shop. <laughs> <laughs> I but, would, uh, I'm holding out hope. I would love to. We should make that something that you have to do, that if, if you lose, that Dan has to go outside and sell seven sandwiches <laughs> to strangers. <laughs>
5: that's awesome. By the way, just so you guys know, uh, Mark and I were at a, a local establishment on uh, Monday evening talking about the Browns and Johnny Manziel. And I thought it would, for such a seismic moment in the franchise's history, I'm going to put my uh, iPhone video uh, camera on Sessler when the Mm. Browns are on the clock. I like that. you guys can see what happens. I like
4: that we continue to lean on the fact that
1: Jacksonville doesn't take him at three. I I think that Mm. he won't be there. I I still want the camera on it. We'll put that up on our site. And (laughs) that's part of the reason why I want the Jets to take a quarterback is, Just for the reaction, wouldn't that be delicious to be in Radio City when some Jets history is being made, Dan?
5: There would be heads exploding if uh, they took another quarterback. Although taking another, you know, if they take a cornerback, as in defensive back, cornerback, I could see a lot of booing as well. I think the fan base uh, for the Jets wants the wide receiver, they want a playmaker, and anything less I think is going to lead to a chorus of boos.
1: Maybe they'll trade for Brandon Flowers, the veteran cornerback we heard, is now on the trade market. Not a lot of trade buzz going into this draft other than just the picks, but that's a pretty interesting veteran that's made a couple of Pro Bowls. The uh, defensive coordinator of the Chiefs is Bob, Bob Sutton. Yeah, yeah, former Jets uh,
3: See, I don't staffer. Think, I don't think they'd be trading for a guy who Bob Sutton doesn't want. That's fair. But, he, 95 cornerbacks, ra- ranked higher than him in coverage last year.
4: Well, but, according to who? Pro football reference? Yeah, I mean, but they made, he made the Pro Bowl. I wouldn't say last year was a Pro Bowl season for Brandon Flowers.
3: Yeah, but he was a Pro Bowl cornerback before that, so he just yeah, had one. Usually when these types of things happen, it's a player playing through injury, or he just doesn't fit the new coach's scheme. He's, I think that's what's happening in Kansas City. I think they're saying this guy is not the
4: cornerback we need in this scheme, and he's out.
1: 28 years old. He's been pretty good, but maybe he doesn't fit the scheme. It's an interesting draft for Kansas City because even though they did well last year, they made it to the playoffs, almost won a game, they have a lot of holes on that team. They're dealing with some quarterback drama. That's floating around. Now Brandon Flowers is supposed to be a linchpin. I can't wait to stop talking about this because we're at the point that every single possibility has been thrown out there and then debunked. And that's really what's going to be the next 48 hours until this thing starts.
4: Radio City, we just got word from Radio City that they're going to have to move this back another 10, 14 days because of a, a parade of mystery bunnies. <laughs>
1: mystery bunnies. <laughs> I think that's uh, that's our cue right there. We should go out strong on that. Thank you guys for calling in, and have fun on Thursday. I know you're going to be talking to some of the prospects wednesday at chelsea piers and central park and dan's gonna be on the red carpet thursday night for the draft and so hubba, hubba. we'll get your takes from that and from the first round on thursday night after the first round but but until then try to not get in any trouble
5: all right thanks guys Farewell. See,
1: you guys. See ya. if i know mark he will be doggedly pursuing these interviews Mark is uh, he is the Woodward and the Bernstein <laughs> of the Around the League podcast. He should put
3: that on his Twitter handle: the Woodward and the Bernstein of the <laughs> ATL podcast.
1: Uh, I mean, I, I'm at this point. I don't know what news is anymore. This is one of the toughest weeks to do our job. Wouldn't you say? It is, yeah. How how do we know what a smokescreen is? I think this and the couple days before free agency are the toughest. But the draft is even worse because. of the things that are popping up are things we would normally not post on because all it is is they could do this, they might do that. It's just a lot of speculation, and I'm excited that, that we're almost there. I'm also excited to get on one of the foremost draft minds of the entire NFL media group. Hell, the entire planet. Matt Money Smith, he also does our intros to every show, so you know him from that. Let's get money in here. All right, let's welcome in Matt Money Smith. I feel wrong that in theory I'm hosting here and to ha- like that we're not <laughs> taking advantage of you not ho- hosting the most underrated host. should be host. driving the ship. You should be. It just feels wrong to have you in here and not be hosting. But you wouldn't talk so nicely about yourself, which I'll do it. I mean a man of oh, many God. talents. Pac-12 network, yep. you announced some games, so you know the college players. Of course, he hosts our nfl.com Draft Extra Coverage, which is coming up this week, yep. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You're going to be with, what, Matt Millen? I'll be
2: with Matt Millen, Akbar Baja, B. Amila, and then, you know, whoever's hanging around, we just snatch them up out of the green room when they're trying to throw back some fruit snacks and throw them at that <laughs> dot-com desk and give us some analysis on the draft.
1: Also, our 24-7, College 24-7 podcast. What else am I missing? Yeah, forgetting the-, <laughs> the most important oh, yeah. one. Yeah, I know.
3: Our intros for That's the podcast. Right.
2: Yes, which I enjoy doing thoroughly enjoy doing, the I've, intros.
1: I've said this before, and I don't want to get too far off track. Here. I, it's my favorite part of the show. I'm not, e- intro. <laughs> I'm not even joking, and we get a lot of responses from it. There's just something about having a nice, quick, funny unique intro that it's only takes 10 seconds long, and it, it always makes me happy. And then after that, I feel like the show usually goes <laughs> slightly downhill.
2: Well, I will say the uh, the Around the League podcast is certainly the most learned podcast of all of our podcasts. <laughs> I do believe that to be true, and I think you all you know, took heed in your journalism or whatever classes you may have <laughs> taken in college. You always start with an anecdote, you know? And that's essentially what that intro is. It's a mm. quick anecdote. It's clever. It doesn't have to be gut-busting funny, but People go. Eh, it's I'm good, all right with these guys.
3: Good thing I skipped my journalism classes to work up life experiences that will give me anecdotes. <laughs> mm.
1: See, there you go. It works out perfectly. Life experience is more important. <laughs> well, he's got the pipes, Matt Money Smith, but he's also got the knowledge. And you've been following these players uh, throughout the la- you know the last four years in the Pac-12 and everywhere. You've yep. you've watched them all around the league. You did an interesting segment on Mock Draft Weekly, another show that you host. There we go. on NFL Network and. You asked DJ Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks to pick their Red Star players, and it's a really interesting idea. Daniel Jeremiah explained basically the night before the draft when he was with the Ravens, they each get to pick one player as a scout that's their Red Star player, and it's essentially the guy that they believe in. And it could be a first-round pick, or it could be a fourth- or fifth-round pick, and it's it's the guy that they're standing on the table for and that they really want to be a part of their team. And so I thought maybe we, we'd go around the room and throw out some... Uh, oh, some red, red stars? stars? Yeah, yeah why All not? All right. Why do, why don't, I know you've watched a lot of uh, tape this weekend, Wes, so why, why don't we start, I'm sort start of, with you? I'm
3: sort of cramming for the draft since we don't watch much college. Right. I am in no way an expert. Uh, uh, one guy that I kind of want to ask, why, why isn't this guy thought of as a top 10 pick? To me, he looks like the fastest linebacker since Urlacher. mm and he looks like he might be one of those guys that has a chance to be a perennial All-Pro, Ryan Shazier.
2: Yeah, he's he's great. And he, you can move him. You can move him around. You can have him as a, a pass rusher, as a linebacker. I mean, there's a million things you can do. And I think ultimately you'll see him go. He'll go in the first round. Why isn't he a top 10? It's a good question. I mean, I think you always look Typically, it, it kind of defensive lineman a little bit more. And, and like I said, he's big enough where you could start getting him into that conversation. Um, I, I think I had him in my last mock going to Green Bay. Just seemed like a nice natural fit there based on what they want to do, which is get after the passer. It's kind of what they've been searching for these last couple drafts. So I, I think y- your eyeballs are right, and and ultimately you'll see it. Remember, when when this whole process started – who knows how long ago Uh, you know he wasn't even mentioned as a first round pick Hmm. people had him kind of on that borderline mid-second so he is a riser um and you're right you know uber athletic uh like you said fast sideline to sideline erlacher s but also the size i mean that's the big difference he's so big i mean just freakishly big which is why uh, ultimately i think you know you'll you'll probably see him in that that 18 to like 24 range and that's probably about right. You know, normally they go lines first obviously quarterbacks play a role. There's so much just ridiculous skill at the wide receiver position this year, and it's become a passing league. I think that's why you're talking about somebody like Shazier getting pushed down the board a little bit more than maybe he deserves to.
1: To what mock draft version was that? 4.0, 6.0? How many have, <laughs> How do they have you doing? I
2: think it was 3.0 <laughs> think It was like I had to update two or three picks. Yeah, I, I think I'm on number four right now, and, and it's funny, too, because the way our, our <laughs> this is what's great, our mock drafts at NFL.com, they they post them, but then they post them in order. So our boss, Andy Fennell, and the way it works is he asks you for the mock draft. You put it up, and when you click on NFL.com slash mock drafts, you know, you'll see Daniel and Bucky and Charles, and that's you know they deserve to be there. Those three guys. Nah, but screw that. that.
1: But then, put money first. But, but
2: then that fourth slot, that fourth slot's the one that moves. You know, and when you get in there, you're like, hey, there we go, there I am. And then the next day, it's
1: like, wait a minute, I just finished chasing good bread. What is this? And you, you're only there for
2: like one day, and then you got to scroll through to the right to get to mine that was just finished a day before.
1: That I will not have that. We need to put money on the air more. I mean, if yeah. any executives are listening, none of this. This aggression will not stand. Yeah, the, these slots of throwing him over to the fourth spot. Yep. He knows his stuff. How dare L- they? Let, well, let's let's have you put on your analyst cap. Let's give us a red star well, player. you said it. Put you on the sta- spot.
2: Yeah, here's this is kind of always my uh, my apology, the pretext for my red stars. I, I do have a bias. I freely admit it. There's something, and in, in you heard guys say this about the pro day, is everybody's just crapping all over pro days. What am I supposed to learn? What is this pro day? There's something about seeing a player live. Uh, I can't explain what it is. It just looks different. They look fast or slower. They throw the ball. You can see a ball come out of their hands and and there have been a few players that have really just blown me down in in person and certainly the leader is, is Andrew Luck. That was one of those the first time and I called a ton of his games at Stanford. Probably 12 to 15, and that, that was one that jumped out at me. Keenan Allen was another one mm. that just immediately, you're like, this wide receiver's better than like everybody you're else. you're only
1: choosing guys that were in contention for rookie of the year. <laughs> exactly. <We're>, well, what <laughs> I'm getting it. to
2: is they're, they're Pac-12 guys, yeah. and they're, so I see a lot of them. And, and the one that I can't figure out is Austin Safarian Jenkins. Like, that's the guy to me. Mm. When, when I started, when I did a couple of his games like two, two years ago, he just looked different. It's like this guy looks like Gronk in college. He's that big, he's that physical, but he's that fast. He has great hands. He runs like a receiver, but he is a huge, huge human being to have that amount of athleticism in his body. Now, there's some off the field concerns. He was suspended for a game. Um, he did not have a good 2013. So, so that would be one that when when I when I see Eric Ebron and I and I know he's great and again a physical specimen. You know, the the knock on Ebron is he doesn't want to block. He has zero interest in blocking. Mm. I mean, he truly is just a receiver that happens to be big enough to play tight end and he'll streak through the middle of that field. Maybe you could teach that? I mean, I think it's you know, it's in you or it's not. It's nasty. You know, you you gotta chip that guy or hook him on the end. You gotta wanna do that. You that know?
3: sort of makes the comparisons to Vernon Davis useless.
2: <laughs> for Ebron?
3: Yeah, because Vernon Davis is a great blocker. Yeah, he is. And a very willing blocker.
2: And I think that's just physical. When you like, you know, when we were at the combine and you were there, you guys were there, you saw it. When you stood next to him, you're like, Jeez, this yeah. guy did for, to run that fast and to be that fluid and to be that big. So Je- you know, when you think about Ebron being slotted in at nine for most of these mock drafts to the Bills, and Safarian Jenkins is being listed mm. in the mid second round, that one Considering how important that position has become, you know, how, how it can really, you know, just th- having the middle of the field. And if a team doesn't have a good safety or an athletic linebacker, you can just dominate from that position. That, that would probably be my, my one red star, even though there are some, some concerns about off the field behavior.
1: So basically, I should be rooting for Patriots. Sitting there at the end of the first round, needing the tight end, you know, Safarian Jenkins. It's funny. We were talking about this uh, on our
2: on our college football podcast, our twenty four seven podcast yesterday, and um, DJ made a good point. He said, "You know, the funny thing about the Patriots is they always zig when everyone zag, zag when they zig." And there are some really talented running backs in this draft. Right. Really talented. Jeremy Hill, Carlos Hyde, another red if I had two red stars, you if can he gave me two. Throw it
1: as many as again, you want. Again,
2: pack twelve bias. Kadeen Carey. Kaden Carey mm. is he is just a ridiculously good all around running back. Great yards after contact. Elusive in space. Hits the hole super quick. And for some reason, again, because the running back position, I don't know, is being devalued. This was a guy that was I'd say it at one point in the season leading the Heisman conversation and he's being talked of as a third or a fourth round pick. So that's another one. But mm. I go back to uh, what DJ was saying, and that's that, you know, you think about the Patriots and they, they have solid play along their line. Wouldn't it be, you know, just apropos for them to take Carlos Hyde and say, really? This guy fell to us at the back end of the first round. A better prospect than Eddie Lacy. You saw the impact he had for the Green Bay Packers and and the fact that they could get away with just a bell cow, 12, 1300 yard style running back. Better better prospect than Eddie Lacy. People are real excited about Carlos Hyde. Yeah. Yeah. Or I guess if you just go back, I I don't know if I should say better prospect than Eddie Lacy, but... Eddie was, you know, they just dropped and they're like, yeah, he looks great, but I mean, do we really want to take him in the first round? It was, it, you know, I, the way I described it on the podcast was just a giant game of chicken. It's all these, all these franchises are like, wait, we've decided to devalue the running right. back. We don't take him in the first round anymore. <laughs>
1: well, that I don't get that, and you're right about the Patriots zigging when people zag, and they are impossible to predict. Impossible. W- what they're gonna do in the draft. Logan Mankins was right. One. I was like, who is that guy? And the running back position. If you look back at two of the best values at any position in last year's draft, and I'm not talking about late-round guys like Zach Stacy, but early guys, Giovanni Bernard and Eddie Lacy. Yep. If the draft was happening again, the Bengals would happily take Giovanni Bernard in the first round. A lot of people would take Giovanni Bernard in the first round. Same thing with Eddie Lacy. That's why, uh, look, I'm not a scout. I haven't watched as much. I was choosing Bishop Sankey as, as my player, if only because the things being said about him seem to be said year after year about guys that turn out to be good values. Well, he's not big enough. He's 209 pounds. He's great. He's again. That's, that's not big yeah. enough for a running back in the NFL. There's plenty of good running backs, and you don't need a guy that has 25 carries a game. Anyways, that's plenty big for a running back in the NFL.
2: Yeah, I mean, and and if you just take Sankey and and his again athleticism, elusiveness. He's a he's an all around back, no question about it. Played in an up tempo offense this last year. Sark really dialed it up. I mean, he was doing he was trying to push 90 plays, and he had zero issue with that. So now you talk about somebody that has the wherewithal. To take a pounding, come back, carry time and time again in this up-tempo offense, and that's the—it's funny that that's kind of the misnomer of of some of these these speed slash tempo based offenses that they don't run. Oregon's a running offense. I mean, right. They, they want to run more than they want to throw. Same thing with Washington. You know, with Price at, at quarterback, they they wanted to run more than they wanted to throw, and a lot of that was on Sankey, and they had a successful season by all accounts.
1: And that's prepping them for the NFL. Yep. All we were talking about last year is the up-tempo offenses, and there's different kinds of players in the NFL now, space players, basically. I don't even know if they're a position. Tavon Austin, Giovanni Bernard, Randall Cobb, all these guys are underdrafted, and they're all space players, guys that you basically just try to get them. The ball in space to Sankey sounds like he can do it all if yep. you ask him to but he can also do that they that can get him the ball in space and it just seems like the type of player that year after year we're going to take some guy that may or may not be a halfway decent pass rusher in the top 10 but this guy who's going to provide consistent value might go to the second round
2: yeah and I think you know with the the reason why those guys keep getting taken in the top 10 is if you have one Man, does it help you. I mean, it helps you something big, and that's that's why defensive ends and left tackles and quarterbacks are always going to, I don't want to say overdrafted, but teams are so desperate to get those guys.
1: I mean, you're going deep here. Well, first of all, you shouldn't okay. apologize for being the uh a bias towards yeah. the pac twelve. That's like the you're like the area scout, like DJ. <laughs> there you go. Was the area scout. Yeah. You you were at a I, I, spring game this weekend. I
2: was this past. Let's see, la- not this past Saturday, but the Saturday prior. I was up in Spokane at uh, historic Joe L B Stadium mm. uh, to watch the Washington State Cougar. Well, to call the Washington State Cougar spring game. <laughs> Yeah, I know. it. Um, no, that's great. Yeah, it was... It, you know what? Good on Mike Leach for actually making a game of it in the first half. They stopped the clock. I, I mean, a guy got his clock cleaned by a safety, so they actually hit. They had pads on. It was a little bit different than some of the other spring games that were just sort of glorified practices. So at least we got a half a football in. And yeah, I'm still... Uh, and by the way, just to full Well, it's not even coming full circle. We're still probably in turn one. But Washington <laughs> State safety, Deion Buchanan. Again, more of more of my – and you're right. It's not bias, It's just guys that I've seen play on a field, in person. Deion Buchanan, I don't – some of these things I don't get. I'm like you guys. I'm not a scout. I just kind of convey what I see and what analysts that I'm doing the game with tell me and and convey to our viewers. Deion Buchanan – I don't know why there's this giant gap between him and Calvin Pryor. You mm-hmm. want to watch like a guy wreck shop. I mean, just terrifying opponent. Wide receivers just with their heads on swivels and alligator arms when they're playing Washington State. That's the guy. He led the team in tackles, six interceptions, um, and, and really brings the lumber. I mean, you, you talk about getting excited about a safety coming to your team. That's the guy.
1: Nice. There, There's always a gap between – I think you probably know it better watching the college guys that – that there's a big gap between guys who are great in college and then, but the NFL just doesn't appreciate them or doesn't want them at all. I mean, is he one of those guys that you think stands out in your head? That's like, why why doesn't the NFL like this guy?
2: Yeah, it's it's they you know you talked about it with Sankey. They try to come up with you know I guess excuses or they they're more interested in writing down what's wrong with the player than what's mm-hmm. right. And if you have too many things that they think are wrong, you ignore all the things that are right. So certainly that that comes into play. What why is he being dinged? He's a little reckless, you know. He can can overpursue at times, but you know, and that was the knock on Taylor Mays. It's okay. This guy's just just a seeking missile and, that and he doesn't to be right. exactly he doesn't quite <laughs> understand space and coverage, but that's not DM. I just said six interceptions, right. led the team in tackles, but again, he can also blow the play. But that's probably the concern is is discipline and he took a few flags that probably unwarranted and in some close games. So You know, I I think that's probably what you're trying to to figure out with Buchanan is how how much of a concern is that?
1: Is that one of the best draft picks of the last five years? Pete Carroll just coming out of USC goes Earl Thomas over Taylor Mays, and everyone's like, oh, wow, wow, that's pretty surprising. You know what's
2: funny about that, too? (laughs) That that story is, is why Taylor was so upset is, you know, Taylor wanted to come out the year before, and Pete's like, no. We're going to do something special. You're going to come back, and and we're going to do this, and we're going to get this thing back on track. So he comes back, and then Pete's like, "Eh, not interested. And, oh, yeah, by the way, your draft stock is just destroyed, but I selfishly needed you at USC. Again, good college player, undisciplined a little bit, and that's when those things were exposed, you know, coming off that season prior when he had all those interceptions. It's like, oh, wait a minute. He's a little stiff in the hips, and he overpursues. Maybe he's not the guy we thought he was.
3: You mentioned the importance, for you, of pro days earlier. Yeah. I have to ask you about the one guy I'm scratching my head on the most. Daniel Jeremiah has Teddy Bridgewater as his number one quarterback. Josh Norris, who does the draft for NBC, has him as a number one player. There are a lot of guys. Mayock doesn't have him as a first-round draft pick. How do we reconcile that in January he was considered consensus number one quarterback? After his pro day, now he's not even a first-round pick?
2: That, you know, the the one thing, again, just going back to that, that statement, that there's something about seeing somebody in person. This is different. It feels different than watching tape or watching them on TV or whatever it may be. And And I guess the ball just did not come out of his hand well. His body language wasn't good. He was inaccurate. And also, you know, that's a lot of these scouts and these general managers and coaches, that's their first, they don't know anything about Teddy Bridgewater. That's really their first exposure Mm. to him. You know, it's up to the scouts to, to watch the tape and break it down. And I'm sure some general managers did that. And, you know, like, DJ will tell you or Bucky will tell you the tape's good I mean the tape is really good on Teddy Bridgewater he came up big in big moments you think about that bowl game against Florida when he just torched that team and you know is for all the issues that that Florida has had I mean those are good defenses with NFL players and he just eviscerated them so I don't understand it. I I would, you know, I'd draft Teddy Bridgewater. If I were a team in need of a quarterback, I'd have no problem with that. Before the pro day, it was his measurables. It was, he's too slight. Well, that's what they said about Aaron Rodgers, you know, and, and, and that's why Aaron Rodgers went, well, Aaron Rodgers tumbled because he was slight of frame and he had those Jeff Tedford mechanics that had to be torn apart and retaught because for some reason they work in college, but they don't in the pros. And maybe, you know, that's just a perfect example of circumstance to totally get off point here that, you know, if Aaron Rodgers isn't drafted by the green Bay Packers and he's drafted by the Niners and he doesn't have time to tear apart his motion and his throws, hmm. then who knows if he becomes the player that he ultimately becomes by having a couple of years to, to redo his mechanics and become a better thrower. Uh, Um, So with Bridgewater, I don't get it. I really don't. I, I can't figure out how one pro day trumps that amount of tape, that amount of production in college, winning big games, coming through in the clutch, um, by all means, seems like a great guy. Told Louisville absolutely no to their Heisman campaign; that he would have nothing to do with it. That he really, you know, was was absolutely opposed to that because it took away from the team. So I don't know. I mean, I you know this seems to be going beyond smokescreen because you that know,
3: seems more like leader, like true leadership than any kind of vocal leadership.
2: Yeah, I I I truly don't get it and again maybe they see something I don't they, they see a release that they don't like that they worry about and you know it's funny we always hear with quarterbacks oh he's uncomfortable when he's not on his spot every quarterback's uncomfortable when they're <laughs> taking off their spot it's just yeah. a matter of whether or not they can you know have a receiver that's open that's coming back to the ball or there is a play to be made I mean no player likes to be pushed off their spot and I think with time, people always talk about Tom Brady being able to operate in that phone booth to move. Well, he's had a considerable amount of time to mm. figure it out. He's a smart guy. He's a tall drink of water. He can see over the line, and he's got enough arm strength to do that. I think asking, you know, Teddy Bridgewater at 21 years old to be Tom Brady and, and be able to be moved off your spot and, and have that sort of, you know, deft touch on your passes when you've played college football and not a lick of pro, that just seems to me to be asking too much.
1: Yeah, I put a sandwich on the line, or a few sandwiches on okay. the line, that there would only, on Friday's show, we played our game, Go Get My Lunch, b-, and Sweet. And, uh, they let you guys say b- No, the last part's supposed to be implied. I was hoping Wesling was going to jump right in there and say <laughs> the last part's supposed to be implied, because that's usually my role. But uh, they'll beep it out. <laughs> okay. And, you know, I said that two quarterbacks will get taken in the first round. Exactly two. And as we get closer to draft, of course, the, the buzz and the rumor. This is a silly season week if there ever was one. There's more talk about the Chiefs maybe as a quarterback spot in the first round. I don't know if that's negotiations. Sounds with, like a negotiation. With Alex Smith. Yeah. But maybe he's kind of a Bridgewater fit there. Uh, potentially. The Bengals. And then the Bengals. Maybe you get the guy who Greg Cosell compared to Andy Dalton. Teddy Bridgewater and you pair him with Andy Dalton. That'd
2: yeah, that's you know, that's an interesting one. The Bengals. The Chiefs, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, just because they lost so much in the off season in free agency and need desperately need a wide receiver, and there's gonna be a great one available. You know, whoever's still sitting there on the board, there are really good wide receivers, whether it's Brandon Cooks or Marquise Lee or, Real quick, oh, can you yeah. tell us
3: a little bit about Brandon Cooks? Since lightning fast.
2: Him? Lightning fast. I've seen and
3: comparisons to guys like Steve Smith.
2: Yeah. That, that's, San Antonio that's, that's the height thing, I think. You know, because he's not he's not that tall, but he is he is stout. He so seems like he
3: cuts really quickly.
2: He does. He's great. I mean, that that Sean Mannion, Brandon Cooks pairing at Oregon State. You know, not a lot of people paying attention to Beaver football, but they really were something. They couldn't you know they couldn't slow him down. And and one thing about Mike Riley is he gets guys ready for the league there's certain coaches that do a really good job of making their players better from the time they enroll until the time they leave and that's not taking anything away from other coaches but when you look around the league and you see the amount of oregon state players compared to what they're you know and, and i'm not a big fan of the rankings anyway coming out of high school most of these guys that dominate they dominate because of the level of competition you know but But when you look at the number of Oregon State players compared to how many two and three stars they were coming out of high school, it it speaks to – what they're being taught, you know, and, and there's something about that coaching staff, and I know I'm getting a little long here and doing a huge promotional announcement for Oregon State, but no, they've been together forever. I mean, his assistants, they don't leave. They've been offered more money, but they like it in Corvallis. They like working for Riley, and I think that says something to why you know, players like Stephen Paya and Marcus Wheaton and, and in the case of Brandon Cooks, who weren't highly rated coming out of high school can not only make the league, but have an impact, and I expect Marcus Wheaton to have a big year in Pittsburgh. He was another blazer. I mean that's my blazing there you go. Blazing fast uh, receiver. But Cooks Cooks separates himself like Odell Beckham does, just in terms of speed, but Odell Beckham a lot more physical than Cooks. So I, I think if Brandon Cooks is sitting there for the Chiefs, that's a great pick for them as opposed to doing a quarterback. Getting back to your your point, Greg, the Bengals I'm you know, I wanna like Andy Dalton. He's you know, go Katie Texas. I, I want him to be Why? the guy. Just, I don't
1: even want to like him.
2: Really? See, I do. i uh, something. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, I, I want to like him because of the fact that TCU put it on the state of Texas. You know, mm. there, there's something about, you know, UT and Hook'em Horns and College Station and the 12th Man, and these teams like Mike Leach's Red Raiders at Texas Tech and TCU still being able to not only be relevant but to trump, you know, the big guys in right. town. So, and he's kind
1: of in the NFL version of that, and that's kind of why I don't like him is – I've always quietly rooted for the Bengals just because you, you feel bad for them. They've been an exciting defensive team the last few years, but even before that. And he's the one holding them back, and then you put him on hard knocks. I mean, this is a spot where you wanted to get excited about Andy Dalton, and he basically just confirmed everything you thought about Andy Dalton yeah, he's, on hard knocks. Yeah, he's a bit dull. Not, yeah, not exactly lighting up the world with his Christian rock medal yeah. uh, before the games. and His rubber ring, his... uh. Wedding ring people
2: like <laughs> where's a rubber wedding ring on the field because it's important to him. Yeah. I, I I don't give. It, it depends what he wants. I don't know how much money he wants in this extension. But man, would I be real nervous with all those weapons mm. with with Marvin yeah. Jones and, and AJ Green and Gio Bernard and if those he
3: two wants, tight ends. Take the money
1: if he wants north of fifteen million a year. Give me Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Alex Smith and Andy Dalton. Take the money this week. Yeah. Let's take it before the draft, shall we? Because it's the most Alex Smith thing ever. For after everything he's been through of his career to finally get a team where he's the guy to be in long-term contract negotiations for big-time money to put up a ton of points in the playoffs and then, oh, we're going to draft a quarterback in the first round the next year. So enjoy that. Yeah, yep. take, take the money now. Where did the time go? Uh, We didn't even talk Johnny Manziel in a whole segment about the NFL draft. That has to be a record for you.
2: It does, and I'll just, uh, you know, because we have to, or else our bosses will get on us for not talking (laughs) Johnny Manziel, I'll just quickly say I totally believe in Johnny Manziel. Mm, I absolutely do. I'm a Johnny Manziel guy. I have not seen, um, I truly have not seen a more exciting football player in college football in, in all my years calling games. I mean, there is, man, that kid, when you're watching those games, there is something just different about him. He's got
3: the it factor.
2: He does. It's, it, I feel <laughs> stupid saying it, but some guys just have that. And I've heard people, because of his stature, compare him to, like, Cade McNown, who was kind of like that, Stop. who was able to – I'm like, okay, look. This guy, he's – you know, I'm trying to think of who it was. Bucky and I were arguing on um, Damashek's podcast, and we were talking about Tebow and the celebrity of Tebow versus the celebrity. Giant Mansell throws the ball, man. I mean, yeah. he can throw the freaking ball. He's accurate. He can make plays. He gets it. He can see through those lanes, even though he's not the tallest guy around. And he had tall offensive linemen in front of him, and he was still able to uh, look. You know, you look at Jason Morrow and Mike Evans. I mean, these are – Morrow's in the middle of the field, and he's Mm -hmm. operating in the middle of the field. And that's the concern when you have a guy that's short, is he's always got to be rolling out, and he's not going to use the middle of the field as well. He's going to always have to go to the outside because those are the lanes he can see. And Johnny proved all those issues wrong. Yeah, I I do. I buy I him. Am, I'm am, I'm am absolutely in on him. If I had I to, like uh, it. yeah, if I, if I had to put my name on there's it, there's another red star. There I, it is, another red star, Johnny Mansell. I
3: love the quote that uh, Daniel Jeremiah got from an undisclosed general manager. If I drafted Johnny Football, I wouldn't be able to sleep that night because I'd be so excited, and then I wouldn't be able to sleep for the next five years because <laughs> I'd be so
1: nervous.
2: Yep, that's great. That is it's, it's, that's absolutely right.
1: And you said it that there's no comparable, and that's why the NFL's no. scared of him because anytime there's no comparable player to what happened before, the guy falls. Just because it's a league where you fall back on what's happened before and you play it safe. But The Russell Wilson factor. Right.
2: Everybody at the Combine said, man, if this guy was (laughs) 6'2", he'd be the number two pick. I mean, that's it's like, okay, so so you're talking three inches here. He's got big hands. He throws the ball. (laughs) He's one of the best interviews you've ever sat down and (laughs) talked with. We all agree he's a leader of men, but he's three inches too short.
1: I just love it. Johnny Mandel, everything's on the table for his career. I love that. I mean, anything could happen, and it really wouldn't surprise you. And then any, everything's right now on the table for Thursday night. Charlie Castle, he doesn't even have him in the first round. Yeah. That would be a stunner, and it would be fascinating to watch. That's not going to happen. And then there's a lot of reports and people, and we talked about it early, that you know maybe the Rams take him, maybe not at 2, but at 13, and that would be amazing. No matter what, Johnny Mandel just makes this week I so brought, much better.
2: I brought this up with Bucky yesterday. What do you guys think? I said when they announce his name, no one— you know, the, the chappy New York fans that are in that, that Radio City Music Hall. That, is there like a huge ovation of cheers or does it get booed?
1: I think he gets cheered. It's going to be a mix, but initially it'll be more of like supr- Ooh, surprise yeah. excitement. It'll be like. Ah! <laughs> I'm sorry. How old are you? And I just there.
2: raised it. It was almost like a scene out of the thriller video, the way you raised your hands. It was like the zombie walk in the thriller video.
1: <laughs> that was great. Everyone just got into a car crash. If you were listening yeah. to this as you were driving. Thank you, Matt Money Smith. Anytime.
2: What an honor. The Stitcher award winning around oh, wow. the league podcast.
1: Too kind. And uh, you can. Listen and watch to money all week. Uh, NFL.com. They're working me hard. Draft. Extra. Are also, you guys going out? Let's are you guys throw out, out there? the Petris and, oh, yeah. and Money Show every day. Daily here, here, in, here in Los Angeles, Angeles,
2: California. Yeah, or on your iHeartRadio application
3: if you want to listen to that.
1: Yeah, so if the executives are listening, come on. This guy's underutilized. NFL Network, g- asset. Let's put him on more things. We need him to wear his analyst hat more often. <laughs> yes, I uh, agree with that. People put you in the in the host thing and yeah, he, you can
2: do it. It's funny, man. It's it's one of the tricks of the uh the play by play trade is you cannot analyze people. I know, get, that's they, what they
3: I told Greg on the way up here.
1: We want you to spread your wings a little bit. We're going off the reservation here. I know. I don't like that. Like, Sean McDonough, I grew up, this is way off time, but some of the best play-by-play announcers in any sport, they throw in their opinions, and that's why you remember them a little bit. So you have my permission.
2: Well, thank you. Nowadays, though, you put it, shut up. You shut up, you player. You shut up, you shut up, you shut (laughs) up now. They get really upset when you do.
1: Well, that's why uh, we should have you on here more. Matt Money Smith. Uh, You can listen to him, like I said, all week long, great talking to you. You guys going to New York? No, we're we're here. We're here. Sweet. Man in the ship. I will see you Thursday and Friday. All right. All right. See you, Money. All right, that was Matt Money Smith bringing the knowledge for us during Draft Week. I'm excited this this podcast is almost over, Chris. Just the two of us in here, but let let's wrap up uh with a little conversation about the big picture of this week and looking from a team perspective What teams, and specifically general managers that we think are under the gun to deliver a big-time haul, have a very productive draft this week? There's a piece up on the Around the League page, seven general managers on the draft hot seat. Who sticks out to you on this list? Top of my list is the guy you have, number
3: one, Kevin Colbert. The Steelers fascinate me because they're in limbo as a franchise. They've been a uh, perennial contender who kind of have the look of a rebuilder now, but with Big Ben, they can't afford to do that. And Kevin Colbert, I did a study on this last offseason, was averaging about one starter per draft class over the last five years, which doesn't cut it. Not only doesn't cut it, but is anathema to a Steelers
1: organization that always drafts and develops well. He is a guy that you would throw out there if you wanted to sound cool as, oh, that's the best general manager in the game. He's the type of thing I used to say. Kevin Colbert might be the best GM in the NFL or the most underrated. And it made a lot of sense for a while. He's been there since 2000 for a reason. They always seem to draft guys very well for that system and then develop them as a coaching staff. And a year later, after they draft them, suddenly they step into the lineup and you don't even miss the veterans that leave. But it hasn't been working for a while. And this is... A team and a franchise, I think, is on the precipice of major changes because I feel like both Colbert and Tomlin need to win this year. If they come out and they have a seven and nine, another season out of the playoffs, while Ben Roethlisberger is in his prime, I think you could see a big shakeup and see both Colbert and Tomlin swept out. They have; it, they still could
3: have last year's draft class work out really well. Le'Veon Bell is as the, the three-down back. Marcus Wheaton could come in and start this year. Uh, Jones could be the pass rusher they needed. And if they hit on a big physical receiver and a cornerback in the first two rounds this year and they're impact players, they could be right back at the the head of the class in the AFC North. They could
1: could win that division. You have Ben Roethlisberger, you can win that division. But I don't know if they can go with guys that sit on the bench for a year this time around. I don't think even a Jarvis Jones type who, you know, he helps out as a part-time player. I think they need guys that that step in. And I think Jerry Reese of the Giants is in a very similar situation with uh, ownership group that's, Generally very patient. He's got a good reputation. He's still living off that, I think it was it, the... The
3: 2007 draft class that took him to the Super Bowl.
1: Right, exactly. He's still living off that draft class. Since then, uh, Bill Barnwell wrote a great piece on Grantland last year just pointing out how Reese, whether it's bad luck or not, all he's done is draft injured players. Injured guys that are out of the league the last six years. The Giants have not had a good drafting history. And they're another team, I think that if they don't have a winning season, Reese and Tom Coughlin won't be there next year. i got to believe
3: a lot of that's bad luck. And he's so respected in the game. You mentioned Kevin Colbert is a guy that people used to talk about as the best GM. It was only three or four years ago that Jerry Reese, a lot of people had him up there with the very best you know, as a model GM.
1: Well, the thing I don't like about the Giants, they always have the same problems. They're always trying to get back to the running game that they supposedly once had. I guess they had it in 2007, but they haven't had it in a while. They're always trying to get back to that. They've been trying to fix their offensive line for five years, and they're trying to regain that pass rush that has been off and on, mostly off for the last three or four years. It came back for their 2011 Super Bowl run. It hasn't been there. Is there any other GMs that stick out to you on this list? Well, I've talked
3: about this guy quite a bit, and I hate to keep picking on him, but Reggie McKenzie <laughs> is— boy! He's on the hot
1: seat because his owner has already said he's on the hot seat. That's true. So, and He didn't a, look like he was on the hot seat when we watched him in his press conference the other day. How would you—he looked more like he was about to fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, this is a
3: guy—the face of his franchise is an underused, underutilized fullback.
1: Oh, my gosh. Marcel, Marcel Reese. Reese
3: is their player when they talk about guys recruiting free agents and the guy who talks about what it means to be a Raider. The media's go-to guy is Marcel Reese. I can't think of another roster that doesn't have a single in
1: his prime young, important player, and, and the Raiders don't. I felt like he was under so much pressure to to deliver a big-time draft last year, and he got DJ Hayden, and he got Menelik Watson. He traded down... We'll see if that works out. It didn't provide a lot of big instant impact, but C.O. Moore looks okay. In two drafts, he's got one starter, C.O. Moore. And he's a guy who comes from Green Bay where it's all about drafting. So if, if that's your thing, and he went into free agency this year, though, you have to deliver. Two guys I'm watching this weekend as well, Rick Spielman of the Vikings, a guy that's been ahead of personnel in Miami and Minnesota for a lot of years without a lot of success. Let's be honest. And they kind of take turns in Minnesota figuring out who to blame. First they blame a structure. It's the triangle of authority. And then they blame a coach. And it's basically Spielman's turn to get fired. Because he got promoted last time, and they just fired a coach. And I think if they have another bad season, they probably would fire Rick Spielman, keep Mike Zimmer, bring in a new GM. That never seems to work, but I could just see that happening. So he's under pressure. And then Dave Gettleman, our guy, the general manager of the former – Team of the Around the League podcast, Carolina Panthers. I feel like this entire offseason has been a dare. Like Dave Gettleman is just looking at all the Panthers fans and looking at all the meetings. He's like, what, you don't think I can deliver another awesome draft? I'm going to let every single player you know that plays wide receiver leave the team. I'm going to let the left tackle leave the team. I'm going to sign a bunch of people you've never heard of in the secondary and just watch my draft because I'm going to deliver, baby.
3: I, I have no problem <laughs> with what he's done. He's He's been... He, Basically, the opposite approach of Reggie McKenzie. Keep all your good young nucleus players and throw off the old players that you don't really need anymore.
1: They have a lot of holes, though.
3: They do, but it's something that I I totally buy. He keeps pointing. He doesn't directly point the finger at Marty Herney, but the credit card comparison is perfect. He came in with a team in a salary cap mess, especially the backfield issues where they overpaid for Jonathan Stewart and D'Angelo Williams. And Gettleman has said, until we pay off our bad credit, we can't
1: start spending money again. And you have to give Gettleman credit for his first draft. His first pick as GM, star Lutelele. I wish Dan was here to pronounce it correctly, <laughs> but he's not. And then Kwan Short was a great second-round pick. He went and attacked what had been a problem area for them for five, six years, and he fixed it in one draft. So he hit a home run last time. We'll see how he does this time the draft is finally almost here. Zach, uh, are you feeling like the, the okay about the podcast with only two of us in here? I feel great.
2: You guys really, you know, you carried the load today. I think we got some nice help from Money. We <laughs> well, got some
3: Money's great, and Greg has called him underutilized. Money is one of my favorite people in the uh, football media. He's great. He's a great flex guy too. If you yeah. if you're you know if this
1: is a fantasy football, a fantasy team. fantasy media team, yeah, you could put him in. He can play any position. That's a good. That's a good point. Well, on Thursday night, we're going to have Kevin Patra coming at you straight from the studio with Chris and I and Gold Standard behind the glass. We're going to have Mark and Dan coming to you after midnight in their hotel rooms because that's just what they do. And we're going to break down all the first round best picks, worst picks look ahead a little bit to the rest of the draft so that's going to drop if you're on the east coast of the US that's going to be dropping after midnight overnight and it'll be ready for you Friday morning until then I'm Greg Rosenthal signing off for Chris Wesseling, Zach the Gold Standard, The Sizzler and Dan Hansis from New York we will talk to you Thursday night Like, I love Jane Austen, which is probably not a manly thing to admit. Do you like like, Bronte? I haven't really read that. I'm a
3: huge fan of Middlemarch.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses.